Good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? Good to see you guys. How many of you are having a great day? Yeah, it's awesome. I am on the recovery side of a cold this week, fighting that. And you know, it feels great when all of a sudden you come out of that NyQuil-induced coma and you start to live again and your brain works. And last night I was doing the final edit on today's message and I told my wife, I was like, I can tell the parts that I worked on when I was in this cold because it's crazy. It doesn't make sense. And you know, when you're on NyQuil, like your dreams are nuts, right? I had dreams about flying and being eaten by monsters and all kinds of stuff all, all together, which is normal really for me, but a little bit extra this week. Well, hey, I'm so excited to be here. I want to say welcome to everybody here at Regal. Welcome to Joy Church UO over at the University of Oregon. I hope you're having a fantastic day there. I am so excited uh, for what God is doing in our church, and I'm just excited and grateful to be here this morning, excited for what God's going to do. We had a wonderful time in God's presence in worship, and I just love to, to come in on a Sunday, and wherever you've been during the week, however, however things have gone for you, when you come in and just experience God's presence, it's just there's a weight that gets lifted off. Come on, somebody. And as Kyle was singing today, the atmosphere changes. And, you know, one of our visions as a church, when Bethany and I were praying about starting Joy Church, and we were just kind of in that, that vision casting and that prayer mode, we were driving out to Junction City one day, and we said, what kind of a church do we want to be a part of? And what kind of a church do we want our kids to grow up in? And we were feeling the Lord leading us to start Joy Church. And one of the things that God really impressed upon us that we were saying in this conversation was, we want to be a church that is directed and sustained by the presence of God. Not just, not just programmed into existence, not just let's get the best messages we can and the best lights and sound and all this kind of stuff, and let's just try to put on a good show. That's not what we're here to do. When we come on a Sunday, we're here for two reasons. We're here to worship God, to honor God, and we're here to love people. Come on, somebody. Love God, love people, and ultimately make disciples. But we do that from the atmosphere and the presence of God. And so that's a huge value in our church. You know, this morning, before I came here to preach, before I came here to worship, I was in the Word. I was in prayer. I got to play. We have our piano set up in our living room. Got to, to do some, some worship, a worship session right there uh, this morning and just get into God's presence. And that's so valuable. And that's what we are about as a church is being saturated in God's presence, right? Let me just tell you something. Uh, God can do something in an instant in His presence, God can, can heal you. He can change you. That would maybe take years otherwise to, to change. There can be supernatural breakthroughs. There can be, as somebody once said, a prophetic bunker buster that happens in God's presence. And so I want to encourage you as, as Joy Church that we have a value of God's presence. And one of the, the, the most significant ways that we lean into this value is by doing what we call First Sunday. And every first Sunday, we used to call it Engine Room, so some of you are familiar with that. We changed it, changed the name, but it's the, the same environment. Uh, the first Sunday of the month on Sunday night, which is happening tonight, which is why I'm talking about this right now, we have a, a one-hour prayer and worship service. And how many of you have gone to a first Sunday and you're like, it's good? I'm just telling you, last time, I'm not preaching right now, I'm just telling the truth, okay? Last time, that was a funny joke, you can laugh. Last time we had first Sunday, I left and I was like, I came in at like a level two and left at like a nine. I mean, just in terms of energy level and being refreshed, it was awesome. It was, as the young people say, lit. It was incredible. We had amazing worship. We had amazing time of prayer. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you have not gone to a first Sunday or if you have and you haven't come back, come tonight, 6 p.m., Gerlinger Hall, uh, we're going to be there together. That's our UO campus. It's an amazing, beautiful building. If you haven't come and seen the UO campus, come and check that out. 6 p.m. Gerlinger Hall. There are cookies. So if God isn't enough for you, then there's cookies, right? 
It's Americans, it's like either, you know, the creator of the universe or cookies, all come for the cookies. Um, but come for whatever reason and come and be a part and be, be part of God's presence. Be there in that atmosphere of worship because God is gonna do amazing things in your life on a personal level. But here's the other thing that God's gonna do. Because we are a church that is directed and sustained by God's presence, when we as a congregation uh, are in prayer and worship together, I believe that the Lord even brings our church forward in its destiny in our city in those moments, right? That the battle is not necessarily won on Sunday morning. It's won in those times of prayer and worship personally during the week, yes, but corporately as we come together. So come on, first Sunday tonight, that's the, that's the best I can do. Be there tonight. It's amazing. And if you have a prayer or a word or you want to, you know, bring something, come on, bring it. This is our moment as a church to, to pray and to worship. So that's my pitch for that. We're, we'll see you guys there at 6 p.m. tonight. Today, we're continuing in our series called Loveology. How many of you have enjoyed this series, Loveology, gotten some good stuff out of it? How many of you uh, got a boyfriend or a girlfriend after last week? Uh, dating, nobody's fessing up. Um, well, today, I'm going to flip this coin here while we're getting started, but today we're going to talk about marriage, uh, and we're going to go into marriage and talk about how st uh, falling in love is easy, standing in love is hard. Come on, somebody. Falling in love is easy, but standing in love is hard. Now, I'm flipping this coin because there's a statistic that's out there, and this is true, that of all marriages right now, if you were to get married today, guess what your odds are? 50-50. So you might as well flip a coin. I owe that to Judah. Judah, it's right here. He, he needs it. He synthesizer money right there. Your odds in marriage of making it past a certain amount of time and having a happy marriage are about 50-50. Now, how many of you are like, that's not very good? It's not very good. If you are on a second or third marriage, your odds actually go down. So that's the aggregate statistic, 50%. So those people getting married this weekend, those beautiful brides and handsome grooms, of starting a beautiful life and all of us buying them toasters or going to Target and getting whatever's on the registry. Uh, Fine China, they have a 50-50 chance. And I, for one, believe there's got to be a better way than the way that we're doing it, right? That 50-50 is not good odds for marriage. And I'm going to talk about this today. I gave you this phrase, but I want it to sink into your heart that falling in love is easy, but standing in love is hard. Falling in love is easy. Standing in love is hard. Now, it's interesting because culturally, everything that we see, our cultural moment about marriage and about relationships and dating and all of this is all about falling in love. And it's this very emotional, uh, very kind of out of control. Um, when I say out of control, it's almost like you have nothing to do with it. It just like happens to you. Even that term falling in love, it's, it describes something that's sort of happening to you passively, right? You're walking along and all of a sudden you fall in love. And people say things like, I fell in love. It just happened to me. But then the problem with this kind of thinking is that, okay, we've been married eight, nine, 10 years. And all of a sudden now I fell out of love. See, if you can fall in, you can fall out, right? If, if love is just this thing that sort of happens to you and then it unhappens to you, that's a problem, isn't it? Because marriage is forever. Marriage is meant to be a covenant that is witnessed by God that lasts for a lifetime. We say till death do his part, not till uh, somebody better comes along, right? Could you imagine if you were standing there and giving your, your vows on your wedding day and the person was like, well, you know, yeah, I'm committed to you until something better comes along. That would sort of put a damper on the romance. But yet that's how we think about love, isn't it? And that's really not how it works. It's really not how it works. Let me just tell you this right now. Great marriages, they don't happen by accident. If you see a great marriage, if you observe somebody who's been married for a long time and, they're work and they are 
still in love and they're still moving forward in, in life together. You know, I was talking to uh, Pastor Mark and, and I was like, Mark, you and Lori, you guys are amazing. You're like a role model in this area. Mark, what are, I need some tips. You know, and Mark gave me some good stuff, Lori. So he's, he's thinking it through. Yeah, he's still, Mark's committed. He's still going forward. When you see a great marriage, it didn't happen by accident. My dad used to say this to me. He still says it to me and I love it. It's a great phrase. He says, if you see a frog on a fence post, you know it didn't get there by itself, right? If you see a frog on a fence post, you know it didn't get there by itself. I think we, we see great marriages and we go, oh, I wish that would happen to me. Oh, it can. Oh, no, 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 like that. I just have to fall in love and find Mr. Right or Mrs. Miss Right, you know? No, it, there's a process. There's an investment. When you see a great marriage, it didn't happen by accident. Great marriages happen because two people are investing and invested. They're committed. They're, they're going through the steps. They're, ta- they're doing the work that needs to be done to invest in marriage. And how many of you have been married for over 20 years would say, amen, amen. amen. That, 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 over 10 years. Come on, that's Bethany and I. Woo, all right. You got to put the work in. You got to invest. That, that falling in love is easy. That part's easy. Oh, I fell in love. That part's easy. But standing in love, staying in love, staying committed is hard. Here's the thing about marriage. Marriage provides a daily challenge, a daily opportunity to live like Jesus. Marriage was invented by God. And I I don't have time today to go into all that theology. We've covered a lot of those verses in the rest of this series earlier on, but marriage was invented by God right in the very beginning when he said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. He creates Eve, brings Eve out of Adam's rib, out of his side, uh, creates Eve, and, and God places them in the garden. He gives them purpose. God created marriage and it has purpose beyond just marriage itself. There's, there's so much there, even theologically, it's so rich and so valuable. But one of the most amazing things that marriage is, is it's a picture of the oneness of God himself. And it's a picture of how Jesus loves his church. And so it's the one human relationship in which the relationship between Jesus and his church is meant to be mirrored, is meant to be imaged out into the world. And so marriage is this special, sacred, holy institution, this special, sacred, holy relationship that is unlike any other human relationship that is meant to literally be a reflection of God's own image. And therefore, it's not, even though it's so great and it's so good, it's it's also a challenge. And it gives us this challenge to be like Jesus as we image him in our marriages. So it says in Ephesians chapter five, I wanna read this passage and we'll kind of walk forward from it. Ephesians chapter five, verse 21. I'm gonna read out of the message paraphrase. And I've, I, I like it in, in lots of different translations, but I like this one because I feel like it gives us a lot of clarity. It says, out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. In, in other translations, it says, submit to one another, submit to one another. Uh, verse 22, wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church. Listen to this, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Verse 25, husbands go all out. I love this, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by, listen to this, giving, not getting. Paul's painting a picture here of a relationship that looks different than even the way our culture represents marriage. He says, look, it's not about getting something, it's about giving. So remember that. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. 
His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. And Paul's referencing back to Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 1, that a man, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become echad, they shall become one. I got to throw my Hebrew, Hebrew, Hebrew. <laughs> it's awesome. If you're, if, you're, if you're under 40, you get to be a Hebrew or a Hebra. Yeah. Echad, one, brought together, one flesh, unified. Paul is painting this picture of marriage, and it's so dynamic and so beautiful. What our culture thinks of a lot of times with marriage is that is, is two people coming together and getting something. What Paul says marriage is about is not two people, it's three. It's about Christ, number one, who's the first person and always the reference point in this passage. It's about Jesus, number one. But then it's about two people not coming to get something from each other, not coming to be satisfied and fulfilled by one another. I love when people say, well, I finally found the person that's going to make me complete. That's not a good place to start a marriage from. See, what marriage should be is two complete people, two people who are satisfied and fulfilled in their relationship with Jesus coming together to be greater than the sum of their parts, right? Two, two people who are totally fulfilled in Christ coming together not to get something from each other, but to give something to each other and to be better. Come on, to be better than they are by themselves. This this image that Paul is giving us, this, this picture that he's giving us, I want you to think about a circle of love and respect, a circle of serving, a circle of loving with Christ up above and the husband and wife on an equal playing field, serving and loving each other, always giving and serving one another, always seeking to understand the other, always trying to speak the language that the other person is speaking and hear what they're saying and meet their needs, not worry about your needs being met, but meet their needs. And this is all taking place under Jesus. It's all taking place as worship towards Jesus. This is what Christian marriage looks like. It's not hierarchical. It's not Jesus, the man, the woman. That's not what it is. The hierarchy is Jesus and a man and a woman serving and loving each other as they serve Jesus together. That's what a strong marriage looks like. Not Jesus, a husband and a wife. Maybe, maybe that's how you've been taught before, but that's not what it is. That's not, not even what it's saying in here. Even in the language about submission, it's not speaking about submission like this person's better, they have more authority. It's talking about mutual submission. It's talking about serving and giving each other. It's mutuality that's taking place here under Jesus. This is the image that Paul gives us about marriage. And this is what standing in love looks like. Here's the thing, when you serve and love and give, and you're there to give something, not to get something, your marriage is gonna just get stronger and stronger and stronger. Come on, it's gonna get better and better and better. You're gonna be more in love. When you, when you give love, love grows. Isn't that interesting? And we know this is how it works, right? When we had kids, we were worried, like I was worried at least, man, I love my daughter Evie so much my first daughter, and, and I just love her with all of my heart. What's going to happen when my son is born? Am I going to be able to love him as much? And how many of you that have more than one kid, you know, your love doesn't go down for the other one. It's like your heart grows. And then you become more crazy as a parent, right? I think that's what happens. Something stretches that wasn't meant to stretch. And all this love is in there. And then you become crazy, like, don't go out on the road or I'll kill you. You know, you just love your kids so much. And I didn't love my wife less. When, uh, when my daughter was born and then when my son was born and my other daughter was born. I, I love them all. It just goes, the more love I give, the more love grows. 
And yet the way we think about relationships in our culture and in marriage is, well, they need to meet my needs. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. So you need to come and learn how to speak Venus language. You know, you need to figure me out. You need to understand me. This is my personality profile. Learn it, know it. it. We're so worried about having our needs met and we wonder why it's so hard to stand in love. Come on, somebody. So I want to give you six practical principles this morning for how to stand in love. And I want you just right up front, before I even give them, just be like, this is going to be good. It's going to be good. Okay, here we go. How to stand in love. Number one, this is so important. Seek first to understand before being understood. This is a Stephen Covey principle, and it goes throughout all of life. But in marriage, it's, it's huge because it helps us in our communication. And communication in marriage is, is everything. I mean, it's, it's so big. It's so important. Seek first to understand before being understood. Learn how your spouse communicates. Learn how they think. Now, men, I, I understand as a man that understanding how your wife thinks, this is not something that you're maybe going to master or maybe even ever get to first grade or whatever. But if you will try, it, it will work, right? Amen. Ladies, come on. You just need to try. Just give it a try, honey. Try. He's trying. He's coming along. And, and ladies, I know that when, when he stares at you with his mouth drooping open, when you're expressing emotions and it's like he doesn't get it, you know, that you think, well, how does he not get that? It's so clear. It's so clear to me. What's that? It's not clear. Just from the guy's perspective, we don't know anything. This is the thing. You've seen this thing on Facebook where the, the wife is like going through this whole process. What's he thinking about? Does he love me anymore? Am I pretty enough? He's like my haircut. Maybe he doesn't like our house. Maybe he doesn't like the Christmas tree. And then at the end of the day, it shows his thought bubble and it was like motorcycle won't start. <laughs> Guys, come on. We, we're basically amoebas that have evolved into fully grown bodies. I mean, but we just, the brain hasn't actually fully gone. You know, some of us men are really in touch with our emotions, but, but no, we're not. So... <laughs> We got to learn, though, how our spouse communicates. We got to learn how they think, or at least try. And we have to change our paradigm from seeking for them to know our needs and to meet our needs and to know how we think to trying to, to understand how they think. We got to work on the whole thing about love languages, right? Love languages. What is my spouse's love language? Now, here's what doesn't work Bethany, here's my love language, and this is how you need to meet my needs. That is not giving, that's getting. See, it only works when you're only out to serve and to love and to give. Come on. When you're there to give something, not to get something. So what you need to be asking is, what's your love language? How can I best serve you? Find out their love language. Uh, I remember our, Bethany and I, our first year of marriage, a lot of people are like, oh, your first year of marriage is just the honeymoon and it's amazing. It's great. It's, it's no problems. And we fought almost every day, the, the whole first year of marriage, right? Both of us had multiple moments where we thought, do we make a mistake? So on and so forth. And both of us were trying to give the other person clues of how we needed to be loved. And so I came from an extremely verbal, in your face, fight to the death kind of family. Bethany came from an like, extremely passive, everybody go to their corner and hide it out, wait for the storm to pass kind of family. And so we were operating from these paradigms wanting the other person to understand us. And so it caused a lot of friction until we learned, look, I need to serve you, you serve me. We, stopped, we, we had to grow unselfish and that, was, that process allowed us to actually connect. Seek first to understand before being understood. Here's the thing, there are, there are gonna be things in marriage and you already know this if you're married. If you've been married for more than a day, you know this. Or if you've been married or you've been in a relationship for more than an hour, you know this. There are things that your spouse values that don't make any sense to you at all. 
It's just not at all. I love Kevin James. He talks about getting the Hallmark card from his wife. You know, his wife wrote him this whole Hallmark card and he reads it and then he's going to throw it in the trash because I already, I took in the information and he's putting it there and she's like, what are you doing? Nothing. I'm putting it on the wall. That's where... There are things that your spouse values, men and women, not just the gender difference, but even just because they're a unique human being that they care about, that they think is obvious, that you aren't going to see right on the surface, but you need to learn to honor and appreciate those kinds of things. My wife says, Jake, how many Christmas trees do you think we should have in our house? As many as you want, love. And you know what? I mean it. If she wanted a Christmas tree on the roof and in every room, I would do it because I love her. Because if it means something to her, I don't get it right? But, but the thing is, I get her. I love her. She's my dearest treasure. Come on. And so the things that, that, we've, that each other value, I talk about plugins and she listens. You're like, what's a plugin? Musical plugins. I actually have a problem with this, you guys. Those of you that know me closely know I have a, basically an obsessive compulsive personality about the organ ducts and music plugins. So uh, and I talk about preamps and microphones and tube saturation. And my wife listens to all this and, 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 I, and I think she cares about it. And she's either doing a really good job hiding it or she loves me, for real. <coughs> Excuse me. You didn't marry yourself. Did you know that? You're not Dennis Rodman. You did not marry yourself. <laughs> and thank God. Because I don't like myself. I'm glad I didn't marry myself, right? There's a whole Seinfeld episode about this where Jerry Seinfeld realizes that he's dating himself in, in an episode, this woman that's exactly like him. And he goes, I don't want to date me. I hate me, right? <laughs> You're married to a unique person with thoughts, feelings, and dreams that are radically different than yours. But that's where the adventure and the fun is. But you got to seek first to understand before being understood. Are you working in this area? Are you investing? That's what standing in love looks like. Number two, run towards resistance. Run towards resistance. Here's something that happens in marriages. People equate hard with bad. They say, well, this is hard, so it must be bad. Wrong. See, we understand if, if you're talking about lifting weights, that hard thing is what is good. That resistance that's breaking down the muscle fibers and that, that's creating strength. Come on, somebody. And in marriage, hard doesn't equal bad. You need to run towards the hard. The places in your marriage that are difficult, that are hard, where it feels like you're serving that person and they don't get it, that's where you need to go. That's where you need to run towards because that resistance, that's what God is using to grow you and deepen you as a person, to break you and deliver you of selfishness and help you be a little bit more like Jesus. Everybody wants everybody else to be more like Jesus, but not themselves. I just wish everybody could be more like Jesus. How about you? No, I'm not interested in that. See, it's easy to get disillusioned when the reality of marriage shows up. Well, I've seen Sleepless in Seattle. I know how it's supposed to be. We want real relationships to reflect Hollywood, uh, you know, rom-coms. We want it to look like a romantic comedy. We want it to be always kind of that, that exciting, you know, unknown kind of, of moment. And that's not what marriage is like. Because at the end of the day, you know, I was laughing this week. I was sick all week. And so I'm at home in the ugliest sweat shorts known to man with snot coming out. I'm laying there. I think I had like food on my chest or something. And my wife comes in, hey, I love you. I'm like, this is awesome. Because <laughs> I'm at my very worst. My brain doesn't work. I'm having crazy dreams. I'm addicted to NyQuil. I mean, I'm just a mess. And yet this woman is serving me, loving me. Uh, that's what love really looks like. And if you can't embrace that, come on, somebody. But here's the thing. 
We want it to look like Hollywood. We think that's what it's supposed to be like. But the reality is that real love and real marriage and what it is, what it actually is, is something so much deeper, so much more satisfying and far better. But here's the trap, is that home is the place where you are known for exactly what you are. It's easy to go to work, you know, for guys and feel like, well, man, all the guys at work think I'm the bee's knees. My secretary thinks I'm handsome. You know, I go home and my kids are, you know, mouthing off at me and my wife doesn't respect me, but at, but at work, everybody, everybody fall, you know, does what I want them to do. And so all of a sudden you start connecting more emotionally at work and you start investing at work and you start ignoring home. And what you're doing is you're going to the easy place and you're running from resistance. Ladies, you, you, you know, you're at home and your kids are rude to you and you clean up after everybody and your husband's a slob and geez, how many freaking duck games are there a season? That's all he does. That's all he thinks about. But, you know, all of a sudden, uh, the guy over at, you know, uh, over at Fred Meyer, the cashier, he kind of winks at you and like makes you feel pretty or the, the hairdresser. All of a sudden, you start thinking the grass is greener and it's easier to go over here. Let me just tell you right now, don't buy that lie. Don't fall into that trap. You run to the place of resistance. You continue to invest on the home front. Continue to invest in those places where, where you're not a superstar. See, you guys hear me talk on Sundays and people probably think this is how you are during the week. No, this is me doing my absolute best to sound smart for an hour on a Sunday. The rest of the week, I'm just a regular dude wearing weird sweat shorts, sick, worried about Coach Taggart leaving the Ducks. You know what I'm saying? Like at home, my wife and my kids, they don't think I'm smart. My wife, half my message, all the good stuff I say comes from Bethany. I'm like, should I say this? No, don't say that. Okay, baby, I'm not going to say that. What, what do I need to say? Say this. This is what's good. I'm like, yes, yes. And I say it, and then people are like, you're so good. You're awesome, Pastor Jake. It's all my wife. And I just go home and mess with tube compressors and organ ducts blogs. But see, here's the thing. It'd be easy to say, you know, I'm going to start listening to the people that think I'm smart, that, oh, I like your messages. Oh, you must be so godly. No. When I go home and my kids, they don't care that I preach messages on a Sunday. They're like, dad, what are you, you going to do for us? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? The place of resistance, home, it starts to, it starts to not feel as easy. You're not a superstar there. You're just, you're just who you are, but that's the safe place to be. That's where you need to invest. Marriage is hard. Yeah, but it's absolutely worth it. That's what you want to build. Who's going to be there for you? Are you investing in that moment? Okay, number three, for the married couples, you got to continue to date your mate. Amen. Date your mate. Last week, we, we talked about dating. That message was just as much for married people as it was for single people. Because when you get married, if you think, oh, okay, now I stop investing, now I stop working, you're going to be one of the 50, uh, the other side of the 50%. You have to continue to invest, continue to date, continue to pursue. Guys, continue to pursue your wife. Pursue her more than you pursued her before. God formed and fashioned her heart to be chased and pursued. You want to keep her, you got to chase her. Come on. Ladies, you got to keep chasing your husband. God made him desire to quest and to, to follow after you. So are you, are you doing some things to make him chase? What's going on here? Is there still this pursuit happening in marriage? We have married couples like, well, it's all the spark is gone. That's because you haven't been fanning the flames. You want to get the fire back, you got to fan the flames. You got you to invest, continue to date your Mate, keep doing that field work, right? Talked about that last week. What does that look like for you? Here's a practical thing for married couples. 15 minutes a day connecting, right, with your, with your spouse. Make sure that you don't let a day go by without at least 15 minutes face-to-face. -face. Let's talk about our day. Let's, let's look each other in the eye. Let's, let's meet 
Let's, let's connect. You know what I'm talking about? At least 15 minutes a day. That's not enough always, but at least. One night a week, go on a date, do something, invest. One day a month, maybe take a trip, go on a day trip, get a babysitter, whatever that looks like, but you're chasing, you're dating your mate. And one weekend a year, 15 minutes a day, one night a week, one day a month, one weekend a year, invest in your marriages, invest in your relationships. If, I, if you're not here at church some Sunday, and I'm like, hey, where were you? And you're like, I was dating my wife. Took her on a, on a date. Good job, son. You did what was good. Come on. Because I would rather have strong marriages, hello, 51 Sundays a year, and have you gone a weekend. Come on. Right? I'm not saying miss church. Oh, we're going to do this every week. No, no. Come on. You be here. But, <laughs> but invest in your relationships. Date your mate. All right. Next one. It's so important that we measure marriage the right way. This is huge because culture has a measurement for, for marriage. And we talked about in, in week one of this series, the seven Greek words for love. And we talked about eros, which is physical desire. And we talked about ludus, which is that playful flirtatious love. And this is how culture me measures love and measures marriage. So people will say, well, I don't feel the eros. It's not as eros as it was initially. And, and the ludus isn't happening because my husband's in his sweatpants obsessed about Willie Taggart, um, what's going on? And so we measure, if we only measure marriage that way and we don't think about phileo, which is friendship, if we don't think about pragma, which is that practical long-term love, if we don't talk about agape, God's kind of love, and we measure marriage only as culture measures it through eros and ludus, through that lens, then we're gonna begin to get a lie in our head about marriage, aren't we? Because we're gonna be thinking, well, my something's wrong with my marriage because we, we're not, it's not just always eros or always ludus, no, a healthy marriage is going to have all these forms of love. Yes, it's going to have that, but that's not the only way that we measure it. And so it's so important to understand, look for the ways your spouse is investing in other forms of love. See, sometimes in, my, in our marriage, in my marriage with Bethany, uh, I, would, I would be not realizing that she was investing because I was looking for her to flirt with me or maybe cut some kind of physical thing or maybe I was looking for friendship side and I wasn't realizing, hey, when she's serving our family by, by going to the grocery store and buying groceries and doing dishes and all these kind of things, that is love. She's showing me love. And by, by measuring it the right way, what I can begin to see is, okay, actually she is investing in me. She's, she is me. She is loving me. I just wasn't measuring it the right way. How many of you would like all of us to open up our gauge and say, you know what, I'm going I'm to open up my lens and see all the ways that my spouse is investing. Ladies, you know, just, just in case you didn't understand, when your husband goes out and works hard every single day, he doesn't do that just because he likes it, right? Right, guys? If a guy is out working for his family, for most men, they, they are doing that as an act of love and serving. Now, again, we're not seeking to be understood. We're seeking to understand. But I'm just trying to cast it from both sides that we need to open up and see how is my spouse actually loving me? I want to measure it the right way. Okay, number five, we're moving towards the end here. This is a big one. And this is, I think, going to tap into a little bit of our culture and get under our skin just a little bit. Your kid, let me tell you this. If you have kids, your kids are going to leave your kids are going to leave. You didn't make a covenant with your kids. You made a covenant with your spouse. You need to invest in your marriage. You need to invest in your spouse. You know, you did not make your kids an idol in your life and lose your marriage over, over your children. And people will say things like, well, my kids are the most important thing in my world. You have a wrong priority. If your kids are the most important thing in the world, you're going to raise screwed up kids. What? 
you are. Because if God isn't number one in your life, then you're not giving your kids something to aim at that's worth something. What you're gonna raise up is kids that are selfish and think they're the center of the universe. If they're the center of your universe, then, then they're gonna think that's what they need to be, right? My kids are not the center of my universe. There are times when I'm like, get out of my face. Well, you're not a very loving father. Actually, that's incorrect. I love my kids enough to know that if I don't connect with Jesus every day, I'm not gonna be a good dad. And I love my kids enough to know that if I don't love their mom passionately and invest in that relationship, I don't giving them, I'm not giving them a foundation to, to build on. They're, they're not gonna know anything about marriage if I'm like, you're the most important thing in my world. They're not the most important thing in my world. I love them so dearly so I will invest in my wife so I can teach my children, God, my, my spouse, and then you guys, that gives them the best foundation. And actually that does give them the best shot. Come on, hear me out. It's not because I don't love my kids. It's because I do love my kids. But you made a covenant with your spouse. You didn't marry your children. And here's the thing. When I was 22 years old and I stood up there on the altar, I didn't say my vows to my mom and my dad. I said my vows to Bethany. And it says in Genesis chapter two, this is why a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. There's a new future. There's a new family. And guess what? I'm not rejecting my parents. I love my parents, but I don't crawl in their bed and say, good morning, mom. You know, I don't do that anymore. Um, I still get Christmas presents, you know, like any self-respecting 33-year-old man with a job would. But uh, <laughs> thanks, mom. I love you. A healthy and loving marriage is the best foundation you can give to your children. So if you're sacrificing your marriage to get your kids to soccer practice, you have a wrong priority because soccer is gonna, isn't going to last. But a, a healthy, a mom and a dad who passionately love each other, do your kids ever see you make out? Sometimes I'm like, come here, Bethany. And I just kiss. She's like, get away from me. I'm like, no, these kids need to see. <laughs> they need to see. They're like, oh God, no. This is where you came from, all right? So you just better like it. But you know how it is when you were a kid, if you had a mom and a dad there, you were always like, ow! Because you wanted, there was something that, that changed in your heart that you knew if my dad loves my mom and my mom loves my dad, my world is okay. I'm reading a book right now called The Hillbilly Elegy. It's a, it's a good read. And the young man that wrote it is talking about how as he grew up, he had a, a, a mom who suffered with drug addiction and, and just brokenness in his family. And and he was getting bad grades and all this kind of stuff. And it was when he went and lived with his grandma and his home situation stabilized that his life began to stabilize and things began to be okay. And what, what I found to be so fascinating is he was, he's talking about the, the, uh, the, the, the white kind of poor, poor class of people in America, Appalachia and Ohio and this kind of group of people. And he was saying, a lot of times we think it's because they have bad schools or no opportunities or economics that are causing these problems. But he says, it, it's not, it's the brokenness in the home. That, that you can, you can you grow up in a rough neighborhood, but if your parents love each other, things are gonna work out for you. Now, here's the thing. You can grow up and your school doesn't have to, you might not have the best school or the most economic opportunities. You might have to work a little harder to go to college. But if you have a mom and a dad who love each other and there's a foundation at home, you're gonna be okay. The, the, one of the greatest gifts you could give to your children is not to get them all the latest brands and take them to every sort of intramural sport they want to play or whatever. It's to, it's to invest in your marriage so that your kids can, can have that stability uh, right there. Maybe that at, they're going to just play with the cardboard boxes at Christmas anyways, right? And I'm not saying we don't love our kids. We dote on our kids. We're ridiculous with our kids. Our kids are like spoiled little awesome things. But... But we invest in our marriage. 
Invest in your spouse so that you still have something to talk about when the kids are gone. You know, in, in 20, 20 years or whatever, 40 years when my daughters get married, 50 years when they get married, 50 or 60 years, when that happens, I want to be able to sit down with my bride, my beautiful bride, and that there's still light in our eyes and there's still romance because we've invested in this relationship. So come on, parents of kids, how many of you know it's hard? Because kids are like in your face all the time. And, and you got to love those kids, yes, but invest in your marriage. Bethany, on, on our honeymoon, we, we went on a bus tour in, in the UK. We were in England and uh, Wales and Scotland. It was this amazing time. But there was this old married couple, older couple, probably in their 70s or 80s. And it was so sad because they would sit together at tables and not look at each other and eat in complete silence. And everybody's like, oh. Here's the thing. I don't know their story. But I can tell you from that result, there wasn't an investment. There wasn't an investment. See, you're always going to be moving apart, just the nature of how life is. You're both growing and, and going somewhere. You're always going to be moving apart. You have to work to stay together. Kids will leave. Invest in your spouse. All right, last one. Marriage isn't about marriage. This is the last principle I'll share with you about marriage. Marriage is not about marriage. If you think everything's about marriage, just investing in marriage, no. There's a purpose in your joining together, a purpose that goes beyond just the two of you or the meeting of needs or even, even your love for one another. There's purpose in your marriage. And you need to ask each other and ask Jesus, what is our purpose and what are we called together to do? See, when, when God created Adam and Eve, he placed them in the garden. He said, your purpose together is to tend and to keep the garden. They were going to make something of the world. And what's amazing is when two people have shared purpose, it keeps them connected at a deep level. See, Bethany and I, we love each other. But if all we ever talked about was, I just love you. I just love you so much. You, just love, you love me. I love you. You're cute. You're cute. Well, no, you're cuter. No, you're cuter. That gets really boring really fast. You're already like, I know I'm already bored and gross. Uh, just, just having that kind of, even just that, even if you really do love each other, that's great. Tell each other that. But what we talk about stuff, hey, what are we going to do with our house? What are we going to do with the garden? What are we going to do with the church? We are sharing purpose. Men, it's easy for us sometimes to get like our, I'm a general and I move forward and we don't let her in. She needs to be standing there with you. Together, you have purpose. Come on. Ladies, sometimes we, we, you might feel, I'm like, we, I'm just relating to all the ladies today, touching my feminine side. Don't, don't just let, don't let him just be on an island by himself. Be together. Find that common purpose. Shared purpose keeps you connected. Ultimately, you're to, you're to serve each other and you're ultimately supposed to serve Jesus because he's the ultimate target. And so you have to ask yourself, does our marriage glorify God? Do we have purpose? Do we have purpose? I had a, a conversation with Larry and Katrina and they're an amazing couple. Come on, give them a hand. How long have you guys been married? 42 years? That's awesome. That's amazing. Incredible. So I'm not going to take all their time up by saying, go ask them for marriage advice, but ask them for marriage advice. These guys are amazing. But what I love about Larry and Katrina, one thing in particular, is that Larry and Katrina aren't just about Larry and Katrina. And they could be because they're awesome and I, they love each other. And I've been in their home and sat there with them and they still are lovey-dovey and kissy-kissy and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they invest, but they have purpose. Isn't that right? Together. One of the best things I ever got to witness was one day I spent the night at their house uh, before we lived in Eugene and I came down and they were both in their bathrobes doing like scriptural exegesis. 
They had like Bible studies and commentaries out. And I thought to myself, isn't that a beautiful picture of a husband and a wife that aren't just about themselves, but they have kingdom purpose. And you know what? 42 years, marriage isn't just about marriage. It's about finding purpose and serving Jesus together. Because sometimes when your passion for one another isn't there, the passion for Jesus and what you're doing together is there. And that fire, all that fire stirs together. Come on, somebody. Come on. Falling in love is easy, but standing in love is hard. Hopefully today I gave you some things that help you equip you to stand in love because it's so, so worth it. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. And here's what I would love to see. I'd love to see marriages at Joy Church that we absolutely shatter and break the 50-50 odds, that we don't have coin flip marriages here, that if you get married or if you are married uh, in, in, in our house in this church, that you, you are a part of a group of people that are investing and committed to having strong and healthy marriages because I believe that's an incredible evangelistic testimony to the world, isn't it? To say, man, I don't know, those people, they're kind of, they're maybe kind of weird a little bit, uh, that, especially the pastor, he's odd. Uh, but man, those people love, their marriages are strong. That says something about the power of God, doesn't it? Falling in love is easy, standing in love is hard, but it's absolutely worth it. Let me pray for you today. If you're a married couple, would you just lift up your hands? Uh, and everybody can lift up their hands, but I want to pray specifically for the marriages in here today uh, and just pray a prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for every wonderful person in this place. I pray a blessing upon them. God, I, I lift up right now to you specifically the, the husbands and wives, the married couples that are in this process of being married. And Lord, that is not always easy. It's not always fun. It's not always pretty. And oftentimes it's messy. But Lord, I pray that your spirit and your power would come uh, right now, Lord, for any husband or wife that's discouraged, that's disillusioned, that is just about ready to give up and, and throw in the towel, that Lord, by your, your spirit would come and strengthen them, would lift up their head and say, you know what? No, it's, it's easy to fall in love, uh, but standing in love is hard, but I'm going to stand with you. And God, I pray for strength. God, I pray for strong marriages, Lord. I pray that there would be men and women that are investing in one another, God. Uh, Lord, uh, even, even rejecting other opportunities to just in, invest in one another and build strong marriages that are a testament to your glory. God, I pray that every married couple would discover shared purpose. This is what God put us together to accomplish. This is our Garden of Eden. This is what we are here to do, to tend and to keep and to bring uh, into order order and to make something of. God, give us all as married couples shared purpose in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.